Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Eileen Marks, wife to Victor Marks, and co-founder of All Things Possible Ministries. In just a moment, you'll hear a powerful interview my husband did with Gary Wilkerson. And after the interview, I'll be back to share some key takeaways and an important update on our ministry. Here now is the latest edition of the Victor Marks Show. Well, welcome to another uh, Gary Wilkerson podcast, and we are glad you're with us today because we have a very special program. We have a special guest, and we're going to be talking a lot about forgiveness and a lot of other things as well with Victor Marks, who is with All Things Possible Ministry. And Victor, your ministry is into a lot of different areas. They could all be summed up with, they're all dangerous. You know, I mean, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what's wrong with you? Great open question. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. What's I think it's a low IQ you? issue right there. <laughs> and a godly wife that puts her thumb on my back. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we, well, we taught martial arts professionally, which inherently got me hit a lot. So I was used to uh, an aspect of risk. But then when God called us in the ministry, of course, we did a, a term and a season. We were colleagues mm-hmm. at Focus on the Family. And then... Uh, he called us to start All Things Possible, reaching youth and children who struggle, uh, troubled, or actually were incarcerated. So that was the beginning, and we realized God had that for us. So it was a big shift of going, wow, Lord, really? Uh, but looking back now, we're 15 years into it, and we just see His faithfulness mm-hmm. if we're willing to just obey. That danger area is you go into a lot of places that are very dangerous to rescue kids, to rescue women that are in very difficult places. Very unique ministry. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we don't like to be known as a rescue. We, well, we rescue hearts. That, mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. Uh, but sometimes there have been opportunities and need to recover children from uh, like ISIS controlled areas mm-hmm. uh, in Mosul and Iraq or help. Uh, facilitate the rescue of women and children who are being held by ISIS. But then the larger work is the hundreds of thousands that have been affected by ISIS. And that's where they need help with their mind because of the trauma. Uh, Physically, we provide surgeries uh, very specific to most of our surgeries are as a result of ISIS shooting kids. And we help. We help with that. We just had Victor during one of our staff sessions here at uh, World Challenge, and hearing your upbringing, hearing your ministry, uh, you know, emotional time for all of us in there. The Kleenex was going around the tables quite a bit. Your upbringing, do you think it prepared you for this, the the type of upbringing you had? You know, I I do. Coming from uh, the rejection of my dad, my biological dad, who didn't think I was his kid when my mom got pregnant. And, you know, her marrying six times, he was a drug dealer or pimp at a certain time in his life, always feeling that void and lack. Uh, it caused great insecurity in me as a child. And then having a stepfather who was very, very evil. That's the best way I can, who, you know, I was abused sexually, physically, um, and tortured uh, from electrocution to water dunking to stuff that was very systematic. Um, that he had been trained in. 
So uh, it resulted in me having to have trauma care for my mind. To put it in context, it was 123 visits in nine months to try to get me stable. And it affected me my whole life. And now, uh, you know, I'd love to say, oh, I'm 100% healed. What, what I am, I'm, I'm really a trophy of God's grace. Yeah. That daily, he gives me the grace to do what I do because I should be low functioning. And at times I struggle. At times between fatigue and all that, I know my limitations. But his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I've seen that again and again and again. Beautiful, powerful word. And that is, uh, we see that all the time. Is Not all the time, we very rarely see anybody come from what you've come from and be so healthy. Yeah, uh, but but we see that oh. that that's a, a sort of a common thread in what God the, you call them trophies of grace that 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 powerful work that God does. So you you grew up in this and how did you kind of what was the transition point in your life? That's a great question, uh, Gary. I you know through you know middle school, high school, you know I started drugs and you know the typical things of outward behavior. And most of the time, that's what people focus on trying to control behavior instead of getting to the root of why are you acting? Why are you doing Why are you doing? So for me, I, I made it through high school and then joined the United States Marine Corps. And that was great. I was like, oh, they gave me a place to stay, food to eat, and a gun. And I was like, all right, can I kill people? And they're like, yeah, just the ones we tell you. But it, that, was a, that was a great place to stabilize me, direct my anger, build discipline, skill sets, and, and um, but it still didn't fill that void in my life. Mm-hmm. So I did everything I was supposed to do to be a man. Chase girls, which most of them were faster than me. Uh, shoot, fight, martial arts, marine, drink, party. And yet, the reality is, just using common sense, I knew girls who could do the same thing. <laughs> Chase girls or guys, fight, you know, and out drink me. So I thought, if that's the definition of a man, there's some girls out there, but better man than me. So I knew there was something in my soul that was missing. And even as a child, hearing scripture every now and then or going to church or, you know, different things like that, it is true. It comes back. So it was through an amazing surprise of my biological dad writing me a letter and we were estranged i wasn't a fan of his and he just said i know you think i'm crazy i'm like yeah because he'd spent time in a mental hospital the same one his dad my grandfather died in and he goes basically he apologized for not being a dad and and if i could tell men out there right now because you know uh, kids without dads is it's an epidemic here in, in our country it's never too late to be a dad, no matter how much you've blown it. No, matter, And then you don't even have to be a great dad. Just be a dad. And this man apologized to me in this letter, and I still have the letter. And he said, I've never been there for you. I'm not good at being a dad. Maybe we can be friends. But he goes, uh, I am crazy, but I'm crazy for Jesus Christ. And that changed my life. And it was through him inviting me to go to a church. Uh, kind of shaming me to go because he had a bunch of other guys going. They were all tough fighters. I was like, I was a Marine. Like, I'll go. I ain't, I ain't scared of a church service. And, man, I heard the gospel, and the power of God's Spirit came on. And you know what it did to me? He convicted me of sin and just as powerful let me know how much he loved me, which I could not wrap my mind around. I'm convicted of my sin and I stopped blaming everybody else in my life for my problems. And I'm thinking, I, I know I'm a sinner. Because here's what, here's what blew me away. 
I was raised with a mentality, you never hit a man when he's down. You kick him. So I'm thinking, <laughs> God, why are you telling me you love me? Jesus, I'm agreeing with you. I'm not a good guy in my heart. And I've broken every Ten Commandment, everyone. And I'm like, you love me? I, I couldn't fight his love. And that's when I surrendered my life to Christ, June 22nd, 1986. It was a day in time for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, as, uh, as you then transition military, and yep. then you come out of the military, you become a Christian. Yep. And then martial arts plays a big role in, in what shaped you as well moving into ministry. How did that play in? It did. You know, it's uh, uh, before I gave my life to Christ, martial arts was my God. If there was one thing, I was actually in college, and I remember uh, a professor asked me, what's the top 10 things are, you know, are most important to you? And I remember putting my family first martial arts second and then i wrote well god and that started a real conundrum in my mind i was thinking oh i know the ten commandments say he's got to be first but when i got saved the lord actually broke me of some of my physical skill sets i i actually tore my hamstring out of my hip and i was a kicker and i've had nine and a half hours of surgery lost 40 percent of my hamstring which ended my kicking career my competitive career and and I didn't actually didn't want anything to do with martial arts after that. I was like, I'm done. I can't. And the Lord said, No, you're not done. You're just broken and ready to be used by me the way I want to. As a result, guess what? My hand speed got better, and then I end up holding a world record for a hand speed of disarming someone with a pistol. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to watch you do that on the screen here so oh, we can cool. take a look at uh, it. For, okay. those, for those of our, our folks that are watching on video, you're going to be able to see it. We'll describe it on radio a little bit later on the okay. podcast, but let's take a look at this. Wow. That's actually a CHP officer, a good yeah. friend of mine. <laughs> so, and you didn't break his arm. How'd you keep from doing that? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> we have to cheat it a bit so we don't hurt people when What's, we do it. Then it time, you can time that? Yeah, it's it's been timed at zero. Uh, point eight tenths of a second. Yeah, that, that's I can't even put my mind around how quick that is. It's like it's like fractions well, of a millisecond, right? And you now. know what? I've been able to uh, use that like in the middle of no. Someone just posted a, a camera video of me outside of Mosul, Iraq, doing the fighting, where a soldier pulls a pistol on me and I disarm him. <laughs> And they're like jumping up for joy. They can't believe I did it. And uh, so the Lord, that's almost my calling card. Yeah. There's over 100 million views of wow. that wow. in every form and fashion. And if people so, want to see that online themselves, if so they want to check that out, they have Victor Marks. Website? Or just YouTube? What, or? Uh, yeah, YouTube, Facebook. Just just okay. Google world's fastest gun disarmament. <laughs> so, uh, like the Old West, world's yeah. fastest gun, man. So looking back, I, I, I thank God that even though I thought what was horrible end up turning out to be great. Mm -hmm. A couple of stories I'd like to hear you tell us again from what we heard in our staff meeting this morning. Uh, one was the girl that was that was rescued in Mosul, I believe yep, it was. Mosul. A lot of people saw it on TV. It was all over the news yep. of, this, of this rescue of this girl. Tell us that story. So there was a little girl and her mother were trying to flee Mosul uh, when the Iraqi army and coalition forces were liberating it, right? So uh, our teams were part of some of that. And then our associate teams were uh, Dave Eubank, FBR, really an integral part of that. Spent months in the field and on the front. So what we saw happen is just like the listener right now, just think of your neighborhood. You know, uh, if it was overcome by ISIS fighters and controlled, 
you would want somebody to come and get you free. So while fighting was going, there was a time where people would start running out. Well, ISIS fighters would shoot them. And this little girl, five years old, and her mother were running, and the mother was eight months pregnant, and ISIS shot and killed her. And she collapsed, and the little girl laid right next to her mother and then hid underneath her dress because she saw people being shot everywhere. And my buddy and colleague, Dave, you know, he's seeing this, and they're at a distance where he can't reach them. And Dave's a former SF guy, uh, leads a great ministry of high-risk work and, and um, humanitarian work, and they're just dying. He's, he's contacting me saying, man, pray, pray. There's a girl I can see. And there were other kids, and other kids moved and were killed. So there are bodies everywhere. He puts together a plan. Uh, General Mustafa from the 36th Brigade, 9th Division, Armored Division, right? says, hey, take a tank for cover. So they move the tank into position. Coalition forces drop smoke. And Dave and a three-man team go behind the tank. And then Dave, under fire, flies out running fast he can to grab this little girl. He grabs her, picks her up, runs back. And then when they exfil, they're moving back probably about 150 yards. One of his three-person team members gets shot in the calf. He's a former SEAL. Mm -hmm. And they made it, but the little girl was so traumatized, we found out she was there probably three days. Mm -hmm. And she would only crawl out from her mother's dress on the ground to find bottles of water. You have to run with water because of summer. And uh, so we took her in. That mm -hmm. that's, that's the center of what we do, helping kids or women who've been traumatized. We took her into our home. My wife and kids were there in Iraq, and um, we provided medical care, emotional care, physical, but she she couldn't talk, you couldn't touch her. She had a swollen stomach, it was just, it was heartbreaking. And I remember my daughter, 13 years old, asking me, Dad, do you think she'll ever talk again? I said, I don't know, because we, we shoot it straight to our kids. You know, sometimes it's better just, and she goes, I said, I don't know, babe. We just got to pray, and we'll do our best. And then a few days later, man, we were shocked, because the little girl who, we didn't know her name, so at first her name, we called her the girl with no name. Mm. Uh, no idea of any relatives, anything. Uh, the girl with no name. She was watching my two children, who at the time were, I think 11 and 12 or 13, blow bubbles. Just, just you know, five and nine sort of bubbles that we had brought from America, that my wife insisted we bring from America, <laughs> packing, you know, to Iraq. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. We need body armor more than we do bubbles. <laughs> and uh, she started watching those bubbles fly, and all of a sudden she starts smiling. And then she starts talking. And she's speaking Arabic, but she's talking, and then she wants to blow the bubbles. And we're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. It was unbelievable. And it was through my children that this little girl came out of her shell, out of this very, very traumatic state, almost semi-comatose, the way you, you know, you can't touch her, she couldn't talk. So people asked, they were like, man, why would you bring your kids to Iraq? I said, well, because God told us to. And our kids aren't any more valuable in the sight of God than Arabic children. Or Muslim children. They're not. So I, I like how my son asked me. At 11 years old, he asked me here in the U.S. before we left. He goes, Dad, are you going to put us anywhere where ISIS can get us? 
Now, this is key because it's about fear. I said, son, what you feel right now is fear. You feel afraid because you're thinking about what could happen. Is that right? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, that's normal, but it's not right because God's not given us a spirit of fear. Right now, what you're feeling is fear, but are you in any danger right now? We're in our home here in the U.S. Are you in danger? He goes, well, no, no, sir. I said, then you shouldn't be feeling fear. I said, so to answer your question, when we go there, we're prepared. We have redundancies. And we're not going to place you in harm's way, not where ISIS can get you. Uh, you know, you're in a safe house. We use armored vehicles. We have, you know, you know how to put on body armor and shoot an AK, right? Yes, sir. I said, okay. So I said, you know, we've prepared you. Uh, medical evac, all that. I said, but if we ever get in a place where it's dangerous, I will tell you. And then you'll probably feel afraid a little bit, but then God's grace will be sufficient for mm, you. That's good. He goes, okay. And guess what? <laughs> At the end of our time, we had to hide for three days because ISIS, the FBI contacted my guys and said, hey, man, here's the chatter. They, they want to get them, uh, Victor. So, and, and I remember saying, hey, now it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Are you okay? He's like, yeah. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I said, all right, that's God's grace. And, and you're at it in the safest place you can be is in God's will anyway. It right? really is. Wasn't that a powerful interview? When I first saw Demora, my heart broke as a mother because I know that she was someone's little girl. And I don't believe she knew all that had happened to her because one day she's with her mommy and the next day she's with complete strangers. So this is what moves us into these areas that are highly dangerous. They're full of risk. But I look at her and I see my children and all these children are precious to God. And when he gives us the opportunity to go into these places, uh, we do count the risk, but we trust God and we want to bring God to this little girl. Being in our safe house, we really were not prepared to have the stories with the children coming to us and the atrocities that these little children now orphaned would be bringing with them as they are now safe with our family and in an environment that's completely new to them. But we were so grateful that we were able to have this for the children that God knew he was going to be bringing to us. So here's a funny story. Before we took our two children at the time um, into Iraq for us for the summer, uh, before we left, I said, I have to get bubbles. And that was a contention between Victor and I, because he's thinking of the luggage we have and the weight of all the luggage. And I'm thinking of the children that we're going to go be seeing. And uh, here's how the bubbles played out. So this little girl, Demora, one moment she is with her mommy and the next moment her mother's dead. And now she's been brought to a safe house, our safe house. She knows none of us and she doesn't speak our language. We don't speak her language. So here's a beautiful thing about bubbles. Our children, they were trying to communicate with her. And of course the language was a barrier, but the bubbles, the bubbles speak universal language. Our two children start blowing the bubbles and this little girl who was you know, closed off and you can tell scared, she started to smile and then she started to laugh with our children. So that was a beautiful 
thing to witness her kind of come out of her shell and fear with simple bubbles. It was wonderful to watch Demora kind of open up. I mean, she's only four years old. So outside of being traumatized, um, this was, you know, an opportunity for really our children to reach her and to touch her where she was at at the time. So when we actually received Demora into our home, really the first thing that we did was get her medical attention because she had been out in the environment in the blazing heat um, really for three days and uh, with no water. And so she was dehydrated. She definitely had some physical ailments that need to be attended to. So we were able to give her that. And then, you know, we took her shopping to get some clothes and some fun games and toys, um, which again, it, you know, it didn't bring her parents back, but it brought her some joy for the moment. And that was beautiful to be able to witness. So for me to watch the children and the children are always the victims of war. They know nothing of the reasons why there's war going on in their country. They don't understand the hate, the religion, the power. But what they do understand now is the trauma. They may not be able to describe it, but their whole world was turned upside down. So to witness so many children have to go through this um, really is the reason why we go into these war-torn countries and the reason we do bring like the lion and the lamb, which helps to bring music in their language and prayers in their language. So to be able to give them something tangible and show them God's love, maybe we don't speak their language, but you know, children do know love. They understand what it feels like to be cared for and to be nurtured. And this is why we go in places like this. Stories like these highlight how invaluable your support is. Without you, people like Demora wouldn't receive the help that they need. But because of you, we were able to reach and minister to her. In fact, to date, we've helped over 40,000 people around the world who were also in dire situations. Lord, right now, I come to you and I ask that you would show those listening right now, what lane would you have them be in? Lord, we all have something, whether it's our time, our talent, or our treasures, Lord. We want to do this for you. We want to look ahead at eternity and see so many people coming into the kingdom through all of us working together. So I ask you, simply ask the Lord, how does he want you to move in this? Does he want you to? I think it's so simple. I think he'll show you as you ask him and seek him. As you do seek him, and you do feel the Lord prompting you to support All Things Possible Ministries, you can go right to our website at victormarks.com. And from there, you can learn more about our ministry and make a financial contribution so more children like Demora can be reached. We're out of time for today, but thank you so much for joining us and for your desire to bring heaven to earth. I'm Eileen Marks, and I hope you tune in for another uplifting edition of The Victor Marks Show.
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.